Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our service of worship and remembrance this morning. It's good to see you all, and I hope you will gain benefit from the time that we spend together this morning. I'd like us to begin by singing together a hymn of praise, and then we'll say a prayer together to dedicate our time of worship to our Father in heaven. So we sing together from the Green Christadelphian Hymn Book, Hymn 76. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice, and with us sing, Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this new day. Thank you for all that it holds out to us, the promise of opportunity, of time spent together. Father, we thank you for all the good things with which you fill our lives. We pray for humility as we remember them and you and our Lord Jesus this morning. Father, give us your peace in our hearts. Help us to rest with you a while this morning. We offer you this dedication in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start this morning with this picture. This is a picture by an American photographer called Leroy Gastind. It's called Homeless Mike. And it's the story of a homeless person that I want to begin with this morning. Like many homeless people on the streets of Manchester or London or in other town, he had come from a good family. His father had a good job, a prestigious job, one that put him in the public eye and gave him status amongst their friends and family. He came from a long line of similar people, people with prestige, with status in society. He grew up in a loving and stable family, a stable nuclear family and stable extended family. He had good prospects as he grew up. He would take on the job that his father had had before him. All he had held before him was stability and certainty. He was a precocious child as he grew up. But he gave up his job and turned his back on society and lived on the charity of others and what he could find. I think the only thing that might distinguish him from so many homeless people was that he wasn't a drinker. But like many of the people that we meet on our streets, he bad-mouthed and cursed and said things that made the people who passed by feel very uncomfortable. From his clothes alone, King Ahaziah would have known who he was. But do you? Nancy's going to come and read for us from Luke chapter 3. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria and Traconitus, and Lysaeus Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. 
John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, What should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, and with many other words John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Somebody wrote, What we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. And so, for the people coming to see and hear John the Baptist, John, who had grown up in the priestly line, whose father Zachariah and mother Elizabeth no doubt loved him dearly, who leapt in his mother's womb at the news of the pregnancy of Mary, who had, by right, the opportunity to serve after his father in the house of God, turned his back on his priestly inheritance, went out into the wilderness, dressed in rough clothes, ate locusts and wild honey, and bad-mouthed the people who came to speak him. You brood of vipers, he says to them. It's a good start if you're trying to engage somebody and get them to listen to what you have to say. I'll have to remember that one uh, for presentations at work. It'll go down really well. The end is where we start from. The Jews who came to listen to John might well have felt that their history was over. God had said nothing to them for over 400 years and they were expectantly waiting Messiah and the voice of one of God's prophets again. And although Luke doesn't describe um, John's clothes, the other gospel writers do. And they do that um, to remind the Jewish people of their past history. And I hope this explains my point about King Ahaziah. King Ahaziah was sick, he'd injured himself, he sends for uh, an idolatrous prophet to tell him how he's going to get on, and instead is met by somebody else. The messenger sent from the king meet this man who says the king will die. And they go back to the king, and King Ahaziah questions them, and he says, what kind of man 
was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. From John the Baptist's clothes alone, King Ahaziah would have recognised the prophet Elijah. And the Gospel writers are quite clear that we should recognise him in John the Baptist too. The end is where we start from. Your past history is the best place to make a new beginning. John offered those people something that I want and I guarantee that you want too. He offered them a fresh start. Even the Jews who believed that by their um, descendancy from Abraham they were God's chosen people, they came and were baptised by John because he offered them a fresh start. The question I ask myself is, do I, what do you, what do we as a church here offer to people by way of a fresh start that is appealing and is attractive to people who don't even believe that they need one? John is saying the end is where you start from. Your past life is where you start from. I am offering you now, here and now, a fresh start. And everybody found that appealing. There's a little clue in John's Gospel that suggests that John might have been baptising Gentiles as well as Jews. And think about the kind of people who came to listen to him. Crowds of people came, scribes and Pharisees, uh, soldiers and tax collectors. Everybody found something appealing about John. And I think one of the great lessons from John's life is he said, you don't have to live the way that I do. This is what the service of God means to me. It means the wilderness. It means poverty. It means hardship. It means telling you things really are the way they are. But you can make practical changes in your own lives, simple changes to make the kingdom of God real. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. Tax collectors should be honest in their dealings. Soldiers, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. John was pragmatic and he was appealing. He lived a godly life. He set people a good example. He gave them a fresh start and he said you can make this fresh start real by doing very simple things. And those things that John said are entirely consonant with the teaching of Jesus. They're things that we can do now to make the kingdom of God real, to make that fresh start appealing to the people around us. John's teaching about changing your way of life says we can change society, not by violence or by some kind of dramatic overthrow, but just by living simply and honestly as God teaches us to do. Change comes from within, change comes from where you start from. Just when you might think your life is over, you can have a fresh start and you can make that fresh start real for other people too. We'll come back to John a little bit later on, but now I'd like Alex to come and give us the announcements. So lots of opportunities in the life of our church to make the kingdom of God real to the people around us. I'd like us to move on, I'd like us to return to our thoughts of John the Baptist. And if you're comfortable in doing this, I'd like you to join me by speaking a prayer together and I'll put the words up on the screen now. So staying seated, if you feel comfortable, please join in with me as we pray together. Almighty God, by whose providence your servant John the Baptist was wonderfully born and sent to prepare the way of your son, our Saviour, by the preaching of repentance. Lead us to repent according to his preaching and after his example, constantly to speak the truth, boldly to rebuke vice 
and patiently to suffer for the truth's sake. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Chris and Debbie were welcomed as visitors by Alex. Chris and Debbie have asked to come and join us as members of our congregation here at Old Trafford. Chris and Debbie, will you come and join me on the platform as we welcome you? This requires a commitment from Chris and Debbie and it requires a commitment from you all. And we have some words that we use at these times. So we're now going to formally welcome Chris and Debbie into membership of the Old Trafford Christadelphian Church here at the Bethel. We are entering into a relationship with them and we are going to make a promise, a covenant with them to work together to build this church to the glory of God, together to serve those in the church family and outside the church and to encourage one another in our love for God and his son, Jesus. I'd like you all to stand, please, as we make this covenant between us all. Chris and Debbie, do you commit yourselves to loving and serving the Lord within this church family and in the world? Yes, it is. As part of the family here, do you promise to love, encourage, strengthen, guide, pray for and care for all the family at the Bethel to the best of your ability and in God's strength? Yes, it is. And now to you all, I'm going to ask you two questions. Do you welcome Chris and Debbie into the family of Christ here at the Bethel? Yes, we do. Do you promise to love, encourage, strengthen, guide and pray for and care for Chris and Debbie as your brother and sister in the family of Christ at the Bethel and to serve the Lord together with them to the best of your ability and in God's strength? Yes, we do. I'm going to ask Wan and Pete um, to come up and we'll pray with Chris and Debbie now. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, we welcome you, Chris and Debbie, as members of the Old Trafford Christadelphian Church and as part of the family here at the Bethel. We pray that we may help each other along the road to the kingdom. Chris and Debbie, I thank God for your faithfulness, for your commitment to us all here, for being here and sharing your faith and your devotion with us all. I pray that we'll learn from you as fellow disciples in Christ and I look forward to sharing our life as a family here with you. Father, I pray for my brother and sister, Chris and Debbie. I pray that you will watch over them and encourage them. I will pray that you help us all to look after them and care for them as your children and members of our family. Amen. And in the words of our next hymn, hymn 163, there's an opportunity for, for us as for Chris and Debbie to dedicate our lives in service to Jesus following the example of John the Baptist. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Please take your seats. So we move on in thinking about John the Baptist and I'm going to ask Becky Brighouse to come and read for us now from Matthew chapter 11, first 19 verses. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples... He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. 
As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. The Bible pulls no punches when it talks about the reality of following God. In that first reading, we read how the word of God came to John and convicted and empowered by it, he went out into the wilderness, he preached forcefully against all that he saw was wrong with the society of his day. He did it again and again and he put it into practice and he baptised people and he told people this is what you have to do to live differently. And then it got him into trouble with those in power and he ends up in prison. And Matthew brings us back to earth with a bump. John is in prison. I don't know how long he's been there. Maybe some of you have worked it out and you can tell me afterwards. But he's been there long enough to start doubting himself. The Bible pours no punches. It says, even John was at times consumed with doubt. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And I think we can all identify with John in our moments of doubt and uncertainty. It is hard to do what we do. And if John the Baptist found it hard, boy, are we going to find it difficult too. And John is in the same position as us. He has to take on trust the words of others as to what the activities of Jesus were. Jesus sends John's disciples back to him. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. John had to accept that his disciples were telling him the truth, as we have to accept that what the words of Scripture tell us is true about the way that Jesus lived and acted. Scripture is true to our experience and it's a great comfort that it should be so. Remember those words, what we call the beginning is often the end 
And to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. So John thought it was all over. He was in prison. There was nothing else for him to do. He wasn't even sure whether the Messiah that he'd been preaching about had even come at all. And we'll remind ourselves later that there were still things for John to do in prison, that prison wasn't the end for John. It was another beginning, another opportunity. Jesus, in talking about John the Baptist, says, the kingdom of God from the days of John the Baptist has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. The message of the kingdom, the message that John preached, the message that Jesus preached and the way that he made that real for the people around him was getting very disruptive. It was disruptive enough for John to end up thrown into prison by Herod. It was going to prove disruptive enough for Jesus to end up on the cross. What's making you uncomfortable? And if the message of the kingdom of God isn't, how is God going to make that real for you? Because the people of Jesus' day couldn't hear no matter how the message was preached to them. Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. I came to you having a good time, eating and drinking with you, joining in your celebrations and your happy times and your sad times. And what you say about me is, I'm a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You won't come and play parties with me. But when John the Baptist came and lived an ascetic life in the wilderness and lived a life of poverty and scavenged for food from what he could find about him, you didn't listen to him either. What is it? How is it? How can I talk to you? How can I reach you? Says Jesus. Whichever way God tries to speak to you, whether it's by placing hard demands in front of you in terms of John the Baptist or showing you, as I have, that... Worshipping me is a real part of everyday life and you won't listen to me. All you can see is the kingdom of God is forcibly advancing, it's disrupting your comfort and your sense of certainty and you don't like it and you threw John into prison and you failed to recognise him for who he was, the Elijah who was to come. I think now is a good opportunity to reflect on those like John the Baptist in positions of hardship or doubt And so I'd like us to share news of our brothers and sisters and others that we care of and then to pray for them. I have some care news from Alex. Let's remember in our prayers people like Anna and Hannah expecting babies. Let's remember Bill. For those of you who weren't here last Sunday, the update about John Bonani and the slideshow of pictures are available on the Bethel website. We'll speak to Alex about those. There'll be a letter coming around asking you for contributions to help support John in all the missionary activity that he's conducting in the Congo. Kate's grandfather celebrates his 98th birthday, a great achievement, and we should remember that. Not sure how Jack and Mary are doing at the moment. We think they are both unwell in different ways, which is why they're not here with us this morning. We've spoken already about Jude and Neil. Now that uh, Neil's dad, Kevin, has died, Vicky tells me that they are both surprisingly doing well. Before we pray together, is there anybody else that you'd like me to remember? For those who didn't hear that, it's a national day of mourning in Australia for the victims of those terrible bushfires we've heard about in the news over the past few weeks. If you remain seated then, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example of John the Baptist who lived 
a hard life and experienced a harder one when he was thrown into prison. And we use that example as an opportunity to remember all those that we know and care for who are sick or sad or troubled and in need of your special care. We think about Jude and Neil and all the other members of Kevin's family as they mourn and grieve and come to terms with his loss. We pray for Anna and Dave and Hannah and Ollie in their hopes and expectations for the safe arrivals of new babies. Pray that you'll be with them. We think about Bill Berry and all the members of the church that we hear about infrequently and see even less. We know that you have not forgotten them. We pray that we won't either. We celebrate with Kate the 98th birthday of her grandfather. We remember our friend and brother John in the Congo and his courage in the face of hardship and uncertainty as he waits for the outcome of his appeal and continues his mission work with the people there. We remember all those people in Australia, victims of natural disasters beyond their control, who lost their lives and all they had so quickly and so terribly. Father, we pray that we'll respond to the message of John and the message of Jesus to make the kingdom of God real as we can for all these people, to find practical ways to love them and serve them, to care for them as we should. In these few moments, Father, help us decide what to do and how to change as we hold these people before you. We'll move on again with the story of John in a few moments after we've sung together from Praise the Lord this time. Praise the Lord 146. Let's remain seated as we sing this together. Bless the Lord my soul, who leads me into life. And so we move on again in the story of John the Baptist. Reading together from Matthew chapter 14, which Becky East is going to come and read for us. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That's why his miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl, who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy that light, says Jesus in John's Gospel. And Herod, for all sorts of contradictory motives, 
perhaps in a slightly masochistic way, seemed to do that. He wouldn't put John to death, even though he'd imprisoned him for saying things that he didn't really want to hear, but kept speaking with John and listening to him because he seemed to like, in some way, what John had to say. I can't imagine it was very comfortable listening. And so, for John, in that time of uncertainty, having been imprisoned, having believed or started to believe that perhaps he might have been wrong after all and Messiah wasn't coming as quickly as he'd expected, found some work to do in prison in speaking to Herod once more. What we call the beginning is often the end and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. So the end of imprisonment wasn't an ending for John. He just kept on doing what he'd always been doing, which is speaking out for the Lord God. But it's not for those reasons that I chose this passage. I think it's, it's for two things really. Firstly, it's because it, it's what it teaches us about Jesus, funnily enough. When Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And Matthew gives us a little human insight into what Jesus was like. And just as John was filled with doubt and uncertainty, Jesus too filled with sadness and mourning at the loss of his cousin. And given the opposition that they were both facing, one of his few allies in preaching the message of the kingdom of God. A Jesus who is like us, a Jesus that we can identify with in moments of great sadness and great sorrow. I think Jesus was also sad because John's death must surely have been something of a premonition for him of his own death. If the preaching of John was enough to get him killed, Jesus surely must have thought, it really is going to happen and I will end up dead too because of what I'm saying and the way that I'm living my life. And we know from the narratives of Gethsemane how Jesus struggled with his destiny and I think this is in the same vein. I'd like us to move on now and use this time to reflect on the death of Jesus as he perhaps did here on hearing about the death of John the Baptist. Before we do that, I'd like us to sing a hymn together. It's from the Green Hymn Book and it's hymn 335. We take, O Lord, the token Life out of death we see, sin and its condemnation, love and its victory, death that departs in shadow, life to the endless days, death that is slain forever, life that is ever praise. What we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. The end of Jesus' life was not the end because his risen life became the risen life of all the believers who followed him throughout 2,000 years. And as we remember his ending in sharing bread and wine, let's remember his new beginning and the new beginning that we share because of it. I'm going to ask Chris to come and offer our thanks for the bread. Please remain seated. Loving, 
almighty, beautiful, caring, patient Heavenly Father. We come into your awesome presence, Lord, through the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Such a privilege, Lord, to be in your presence and in the presence of our Lord Jesus at your right hand side. Heavenly Father, you are the Alpha and Omega. You are our beginning and our end. Lord, you have given us a new start in Jesus. Lord Jesus, you have shown us so much love and shown us how much the Father loves us. Lord Jesus, you have given us an example of the bread that we, rem- we break this morning. It reminds us so much of your suffering. You were homeless, despised and rejected by men. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. Just like the grains of this bread that has been brought together, you have brought us together in you. So, Lord, as we take this bread and we share it among ourselves, we thank you for allowing us and forgiving us this symbol. Amen. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so we share together in the body of Christ. I'll ask Des to come and offer our thanks for the wine. Loving God, thank you for being with us this day. Thank you for being with us as a family, for bringing us together safely. We could not do this without you giving us your son. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for dying for us. Help us to remember that your end it's just the beginning. You are our risen Lord. As we take this wine together as a family, and as we drink, as the warmth fills us, help us to feel your warmth, your love, 
peace and light, your willing sacrifice. So we drink the blood of the new covenant, new beginning and a fresh start for us all. Thank you for it. Amen. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. We remember this as we share together the wine of the new covenant. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink, says Jesus. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate the manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. As we begin to bring our worship this morning to a conclusion, I'd like us, again if you're comfortable, to say with me the words of this prayer. So we pray together. Merciful Lord, whose prophet John the Baptist proclaimed your Son as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, grant that we who in this bread and wine have known your forgiveness and your life-giving love may ever tell of your mercy and your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to end not with a hymn but with a prayer being sung to us. And as you listen to its last words, remember the words that I've been reading to you this morning. What we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. <laughs>